Hello, it's Gobstopper episode seven. I'm Catherine Williamson and my companion in podcasting, Jill Garrett. Hello. Right, Jill, I'm so excited about today because can I say we've got artificial intelligence or is it augmented intelligence? Artificial. That's my first question. Versus emotion intelligence. And I've got to put my hands up. The whole AI thing has completely passed me by. I'm not an early adopter of anything. It has to go mainstream before I get there. And really, my AI experience is data in Star Trek. (laughs) So what is AI? So I'm going to start by saying I'm not an expert either, really, but I am very much an ordinary, interested, mid-70s-year-old user. And I have used it in work. When we first started using computers in business, they followed our instructions. The first computers were calculators, really. But right at the beginning of that, 70 years ago, Alan Turing, a great sort of name in the computer world, said that one day computers would be able to learn from experience and they'd be able to solve problems that they weren't pre-programmed to solve. And that essentially is what artificial intelligence is. It's a kind of ability to think. It's not quite the same as thinking, but it's almost like an ability to think about things that you're not programmed to think about. So, um, Alan Turing, that's cracking the Enigma code, mm. isn't it? Oh, I had to mm. show him off my mm. bit of knowledge. Mm. So, we were the master. We programmed it in the computer responded and now what we're saying is we're getting towards parity where it's almost doing the proactive thinking without being instructed to do it yeah yeah uh kind of based on the information it has and at the moment there are even things that the uk is quite far ahead with uh, because i always think of the uk as being quite behind and if you look at most of the statistics we are quite behind with it but we were the first country in europe for example to allow AI-assisted cars onto motorways. So that's quite good, isn't it? What would it be doing in that car on a motorway? It would be driving instead of you and anticipating things. I don't know enough about that, but it would be anticipating... So it's driverless cars. Well, there's a person behind the wheel Mm. and there would be times when you might have to put your hands on the wheel. Mm -hmm. But it's essentially driving for you. you. You need your eyes on the road... But yet it's essentially driving for you. And then it's used in what are called routine tasks that you and I probably wouldn't believe are routine. So things like brain scans and x-rays. So it actually looks through those and will just alert doctors. So it actually frees doctors up to spend more time with patients. So when there's any new bit of tech a box of something arrive at site or do you plug into a great big web thing? So one of the people I've used it with looking at career options is actually a biotechnical engineer. So lots of hospitals are already wired to do this sort of thing because it's just how they do them. And so it's just part of that system. And at the moment, for example, if you were to go to somewhere like Octopus Energy and you go into a chat box and you put in a question... At the moment, more than half of their chat box responses now are AI responses. And what's been really interesting is that the computer-generated responses are actually getting higher customer scores 
than the human responses. So their customer service skills, yeah. i.e. that's where we're sort of moving into emotional intelligence, their customer responsiveness is perceived to be better than a human yeah. being. Yeah, well, probably because with routine questions, it mm. will come back with very logical, very clear answers. I think, you know, in somewhere like Octopus or any sort of chat room, when you phone a customer line, you would normally get a human being. But what you don't sometimes realise is that they might be typing in what they need to know about an AI would be telling them what the answer is. So even if it's not a computer-generated response to a written question that you might have, they could use it and log on and very quickly begin to see your details and know what some of your issues are. So that interaction between human beings and AI, I think, will become much more the way of doing things, a bit like the doctors. You know, it isn't the machine that says this is the result of your brain scan. Mm. But it takes out some of the more routine, time-consuming work, like doing the research on what's the answer to this question, and actually frees human beings up to use some of their intelligence to think about how we position this. And now, of course, it can actually mimic human language. So the latest developments are in NLP, which doesn't stand for NLP, as you and I would understand it, yeah, programming. But it's actually natural language processing. And so now the programmes understand written language or spoken language. And so they appear to be mimicking a real person in coming back to you. And so you've got things like chat GPT, the Microsoft tool that a lot of people use, Hmm. or you've got Google Bard. And I think how it's different from computers for me is that you don't need to be really good with technology to use it. Mm -hmm. You know, certainly I've used it to draft things and just in a copy and paste and said, you know, how would you improve in this so that the points that are emphasised are this, this and this. And it comes back with something that I can then improve some more. And I like improving drafts. It's much better than a blank piece of paper. Someone asked me about, what I'd put into a business plan that needed to emphasise X, Y and Z. And so I wrote the context and then said, what would be the priorities that you'd be stressing in a business plan? And it came out with an outline of a business plan, which was just brilliant. Would it take me probably a couple of hours to think about? And it'll research, it'll summarise. If you were to put 500 words in and said summarise the main points, it will come back with that. I'm already feeling a bit of competitive threat, Jill, because I still send out books and people have said, have you discovered Audible, Catherine? So do you sit <laughs> at a computer and log on to a particular site yeah, to do, do this? Because yeah. the mechanism is, yeah. it's business or but, you, but you'd search for something. Yeah. yeah, it's just like using an app. And once you're on there, it's just this whole new world. And it's being adopted so quickly. You know, it took people years to get computers. ChatGPT was launched in November 2022. Within five days, it had over a million users. It's quite interesting. It can't tell you anything that's after 2021 at the moment. Obviously, it will be updated. But I've found that when it doesn't know, it tells you it doesn't know as well. So it's got some Brene Brown's vulnerability. It puts its hands up and says, I don't know the answer. It says, I don't know. If it's time-specific, yes. Mm. The danger is, of course, that if you don't ask that time-specific question, what will come out might be dated. And for me, a lot of it has been, I guess it's teacher training, really, but it's been about 
asking good questions and setting a good context for it. Mm. And I think if you've got your context and you've got your question, then it starts to give you really good answers, which you can nuance and just work with the responses, really. But it just cuts out so much of the groundwork for you. So you've researched it. You seem very excited. You've been quick to get... I don't know if I've researched it massively. I mean, this is me as an amateur using it. Well, you're, you're, uh, you're way further down the path than I am. You've embraced it, you're logged onto it, you're using it. But that's only one form. So it will really change our lives. The technology for the things I'm going to talk about here now is already there. But I'm going to be really crude now. But it is possible to go to the loo and to have your stools analysed and it would tell you if there was something wrong with your diet or if you needed to see a doctor. It can tell you how well you've brushed your teeth. That technology is already there. And much of the technology that we haven't yet explored is already there. So, again, is it somehow in the toothbrush or is it you smile at the computer? It will, it will be programmed into it. It will just be programmed into it. Into so, the toothbrush? Hmm. And well, the, well, your toothbrush will be part of a bigger system, yes. Yes. So, for example, earlier this week I was working at a financial services company Most financial services companies will have financial advisors who meet you and talk to you about your investments and your retirement funds and things and will give you advice on on your portfolio and what investments you should have. And they're usually backed up by paraplanners or technicians who've done all the sort of research into the tax and your particular status. But already you've got AI-powered algorithms and I think they call them robo-advisors, who can generate much of that information. And so you can kind of see there are some jobs which are deep research jobs, which will change quite significantly as a result of AI. So it's just about knowing what aspects of AI you want to use. OK, so a lot of the AI conversations... technologies there. Yeah, but I've... What I've heard it represented, and this is primarily through the press, is that it's going to get out of control and we should be frightened. It's It's been sensationalised, hasn't it? Yeah. Nothing I've heard you say yeah. so far no. is nothing other no, than nothing. we're going to get rid of the grindy bits of some stuff that can now be done a lot faster. So if you were to look at that in some jobs, and we know from our strengths background that we all have to embrace a certain degree of grind. You can't strip it all out of your life. But you can then be intentioned around the stuff that AI picks up and the stuff Absolutely. that you focus yeah. where it's much more down to yeah. your energy and your talent. Yeah, I think so. I knew we were going to talk about this this afternoon, so I thought I'd talk about school because everyone's been to school, so you know what I was talking about. And, and my background is in teaching anyway. And I started to think about, you know, what technology is out there that if you've got the funding and the people who are well-trained, you could actually start using now. So to begin with, you'd go into school as a student and there wouldn't be a register because your presence would actually be detected as soon as you walk through a door. And then the curriculum would be tailored to the students and to their learning needs and to their interests. So I started teaching in 1970 and in those dim and distant days, you had O-levels and and CSEs and uh, you could design your own CSE courses and if students got a certain grade, it was the equivalent to an O-level pass. And so because I was teaching mixed ability groups, 
I designed a CSE course which had a project element but huge overlap with the O-level course. So I could teach both in one room but those who weren't particularly academic, we could look at how can we interest you. So I remember one boy who was mad on football did something on the economics of Swindon Town Football Club and another girl whose family ran a funeral parlour did something on the rising cost of dying. Um, Now, Bring that forward now 50 years to AI and you could start thinking about someone who was really interested in football. How do we teach maths using football as our vehicle? Or how do we teach geometry using snooker or squash or hockey? Or we could think about French. How can we teach French through taking virtual reality and spending an afternoon in a French cafe? Mm. Or could we do a field trip virtually, visit the pyramids or, or the rainforests of Brazil? Or could we go back in history and observe this battle or work out how we as a troop might be able to get out of this particular battlefield alive? And research shows that when children discuss in groups experiences that they've had that they retain more knowledge. So you can see this isn't just doing what we've always done. Mm -hmm. It's actually taking it to a level which really benefits students. And that's all group stuff. But you could actually start to see then how each child could have an individualised teaching assistant. So teaching assistant's jobs could change and teacher's jobs could change. I could have a child as a teaching assistant reading to me. You wouldn't need that with AI. They read into something like an Alexa pod and they're talking to it and they have instant positive feedback and appropriate constructive feedback to actually give them stretch targets for next time they read. Once they know what the child's interests are, and that would be up either to a teacher or a teaching assistant to program in, they can have books that will achieve those stretch targets on subjects that they're particularly interested in. You can actually monitor the teaching performance. You know, one of the things that's always interested me is that some teachers are much more engaging than others. So you can see at which points children are most engaged in the lesson and when their engagement's flagging, because you're not going to be learning if you're not engaged. You could actually begin to look at other points in the day when their engagement goes down. And is that about diet or is it about the quality of teaching? So that technology exists now. And it just seems to me that we've all been to school and we can probably imagine some of that. Mm -hmm. But the obstacles to it are, are the obstacles which will exist everywhere. And one of them is going to be funding. That's particularly true in school. But it's probably not true in business. You think about how many jobs you could save or how much more productive you'd be by having chat boxes that are automated rather than manual. Mm. Um, Industry will find, business will find ways of financing that because if they don't, they'll die. Well, because AI doesn't need holidays. No. Compassionate leave. No. Trip to the doctors or dentist, maybe a bit of a downtime if you have to reboot it. So is there a case for feeling somewhat daunted about what's available for the future generations that are still being taught in 
the old style. Yeah. And I mean, we're not saying that teaching is necessarily making people fit for purpose for the future necessarily, but can you see where there could be rising concern? I, I think so. I think there are a number of things. First of all, funding is going to be an issue in education mm. and it will be an issue in non-competitive schools. I think a second issue is going to be training. Um, I wondered, as I was thinking about this, if you'd be able to survive as a teacher in 10 years' time if you couldn't do this stuff. I'm not sure you could. And by doing this stuff, what do you mean? Actually being able to understand the potential of AI and how to interact with it. Engage with it yourself. That's exactly right, and interact with it so that you can actually set up a special learning programme for each child in your class. And will that training be accessible to everyone? You know, that has to be accessible. And if it's not, then that will be a problem. And if it is and you're just someone who can't get your head around it, I think that's going to be a real problem for you. And I think there are four dangers. So I think the third one is the one that you alluded to about almost about the ethics and to some extent as well, I think, the accuracy. So... If we look at ethics first, um, it's very easy to put false information out there. In fact, today there was something I was looking on the BBC News web while we were waiting to come in today, and um, Martin Lewis was saying that there's actually been a copy of his face, because you can do visual imaging, asking for money to finance things. So it's possible to do that. You know, you could have someone like um, the current prime minister actually saying, well, Putin's a great guy or Putin's a rubbish guy and doing it in such an offensive way that it actually ups the ante. So you could do that. So the some ethical concerns, I think those are the most obvious ones, but actually all of us have natural biases. And anything that I put on really is going to have my natural bias. Because we all have natural biases. So the Hopefully per- they're not harmful ones, but you hear what I'm saying. So the person that's involved in putting it in in the yeah, first place would yeah. be in some ways swaying. If it's that objective sort of stuff rather than factual stuff, yes. Um, and the factual stuff might not be quite correct. You know, you look at things like Wikipedia mm. and there's a lot on there that isn't accurate. Mm. So... It can't think for itself. That's why I said it mimics human thinking uh, because it can only work off what's put into it. So that's another danger. And as a teacher, you'll need to be fairly up to date on your stuff. So we're using teaching as a context to help understand how the new world would look. I know my dad was a teacher. He loved teaching. He loved the classroom teaching. He was very gifted at it. He earned extra money over the summer by marking exam scripts, which just about broke him, but it funded our summer holiday. So, in a sense, teachers could be doing more teaching and exams could be being marked by AI, for instance, couldn't it? There's some stuff that sits within... Because teaching has become so much process and administration role from that original sort of Mm. the incredible Mm. inspiring teacher that has, Mm. you know, the whole classroom in Mm. his hand or her hand. So some of the stuff could be stripped out that drags you down. So which types of jobs or industries do you think are going to be first to really take the hit? Okay, and I'm just going to say before I answer Mm. that question, I'm not so sure about the marking. Mm. Um, 
And it would depend at what level. That's mm -hmm. where the teacher needs to interact, mm. I think. And today, because there's a strike at the moment and so marking of papers isn't being done, mm. some of them are being marked by AI and some of the university students, they're not happy with the results. They said if it had been my tutor, they would have, they would have known and they would have said this and they would have said that. So just to be clear on that one. But I think it's a whole range of jobs. So... I've already mentioned financial services. I think that things like paralegal jobs where you're doing research and then putting together papers, I think it will take a lot of that on. Um, repetitive jobs, a lot of the you know manufacturing jobs, AI systems technology, which will take away from that, you know, in much the same way that um, I love knitting, I love hand knitting. But a knitting machine is just so much more productive and it looks so much neater than my knitting. Mm. You know, so there are lots of things like that. We've already mentioned chat rooms. So I've got two kids that have been at different points in getting jobs and they've been sending off applications and they've been measured by the algorithm. So is that an AI type thing or is that something different? Because the thing that frustrates me, and I would say this, I'm biased, if both of my kids sat in front of another human being and were able to express themselves, they would have a much fairer chance than populating something to get through an algorithm. Yeah, and part of me hears what you're saying there. And part of me thinks you've got to filter the applications in some way. Mm. So... I'd be really upset if I didn't think that at some stage there was an interaction with another human being. Mm. But you've got to find a way of filtering to get to all of those applications. One of my clients this week said we've had 18 applications for a very specialist role. And I said, let's just think about what you actually need to do this job. And once you'd actually been really clear about this is what you'll need, we managed to get it down to six. And then we started thinking about some other things. Now, with AI, if you really know your stuff, you can use it to filter. Um, and particularly if you've done some research, there's research that shows, for example, that if you were going to survive as a pilot during the Second World War, the biodata that showed that you were most likely to come out alive at the end of the war was something that said, I built a model aircraft before the age of nine. Some very interesting biodata. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, part of it is researching the job. You know that I work with structured interviews where we know what the best candidates say. You've got to find a way of studying the best and knowing what the best will say and will do. Again, it's back to human interaction with this. Once you've done the filtering, you do need to find a way then of filtering, but you then need to have that human interaction because there has to be something in the chemistry, doesn't there? Yes, and that's and somebody that works so much and is highly reliant on the impact. Absolutely, piece. yeah. So jobs are going to disappear as a result of being taken or adopted by AI. But it sounds like you're going to have specialist people that need to know how to put the stuff in AI to create the filtering. There'll be all sorts of other stuff. So there'll be stuff going over there, but there'll be other stuff coming as Absolutely. a result of the engagement with Absolutely. the technology. Absolutely, and we must not forget that the workforce is shrinking, not just in this country, but globally. Mm. Again, I was listening to a programme about two weeks ago, and they were saying that in South Korea, which has the lowest birth rate in the world, for every 100 people now alive, they will have seven great-grandchildren. 
seven per hundred. That's a huge dip in population. Mm. And already we can begin to see that happening. So if we can take away some of those jobs that really could be done by AI, and we're back into school really, where we're thinking about how can we actually skill develop and upskill people in a shrinking labour market? Because we will need to do that. So we started off with talking about AI versus emotion intelligence. So is emotion intelligence an innately human quality or can you program AI to become highly emotionally intelligent? I don't know. And maybe that will come. Mm. And I don't think it is AI versus emotional intelligence because it can write good poetry. Okay. But it can only write good poetry based on what's been fed into it. And there was something I was looking at in the week where they got two poems and one was written by a person and one was written by AI. They were Second World War poems. And uh, I preferred the AI one, actually. And, and I did A-level English. You know, I love poetry. I love T.S. Eliot in particular. So there's a new whole genre of poetry clubs, book clubs, critiquing and reading the stuff that AI has generated. Yeah, absolutely. If, you, if that was what you wanted. So I think for me the best work is AI human collaboration and again there's something there about we need to be moving education in that direction um, it's a bit like I, I, I remember when I was a secondary school head and we just um, as part of what was then called the technical vocational educational initiative TVEI in the school that I was ahead in, we'd just introduced these computerised sewing machines where you could kind of programme and they could do some beautiful embroidery and things. And youngsters needed to understand how to make the machines work to actually do the designs that they designed. It's kind of like that all over again where we're, we're starting to think about... How can we keep building creativity? It's not just emotional intelligence, but it's things like human creativity and interfacing with AI to help us do that even better. So for me, it's that recognition, really, that it's the collaboration between human and AI. I think mixed with government, there has to be regulation around ethical concerns. And the thing we haven't touched on at all is I think that there will be some legal challenges you know there must be copywriting laws again I'm not an expert mm. but if all this stuff is going in and it, it's regenerating it there must be some copywriting laws that are being broken so it, it would be ridiculous to be like King Canute uh, who is, is expected to say the waves aren't going to come in so it's happening it's already happening it's speeding up quickly because it's <laughs> it learns so fast. Yeah. So what do we need to be in readiness? How do we need to be prepared? I think we need, from the time children are small, to keep emphasising lifelong learning. And I think that needs to be bred in from a young age. Um, and lifelong learning happens when children see adults learning. I've talked before to you about how when I was a head teacher, we got a brilliant library and no librarian. The small town that I was ahead in had a brilliant librarian and a rubbish library. Mm. So we brought the two together because I wanted my youngster to see the adults read. It's something you do for life. So lifelong learning, much more emphasis on soft skills. To me, one of the most vital things to teach young people is how to work in teams. 
If you can't work in a team, then so many jobs just don't work. And part of your team now is going to be AI. Mm. And problem solving, using people and AI, you know, how much of that is emphasised in the curriculum? But if you could design a curriculum, you were talking about your dad and I thought about the hours that I spent designing that GCSE curriculum in 1971. And all you'd have needed to do was to programme in. These are elements in the current O-level curriculum. I want to produce something which is active, which will enable each young person to do a project in an area that is of specific interest to them, what would be the elements that would transfer easily into another curriculum? That's not a particularly good question, but given time to think about that. Mm. And it would come out with something. And then you can nuance that and put it back in again. And that's the other thing that's lovely about it. You can keep improving your question and putting it in. Or if you're not happy with the response, you can ask it to regenerate the response and it will produce it in a different way. So we're getting to that point where we need to sort of conclude discussions. So the reality is education, schools and the curriculum, if that bit gets right, then the talent, the people and the capabilities that go into organisations have got, in some regards, a real poverty and dearth of good talent yeah (laughs) are getting quality in (laughs) so you start waving it up through into organizations don't you and of course they'll be doing their bit yeah to meet that talent and to meet those individuals coming in yeah and I think that what needs to happen is that educationists need to be talking now to people who are producing in all sorts of industries to be saying in the world of AI what are the qualities that you'll be looking for Other than some of these digital skills, what are the other qualities that people will need? I've said to you before, you know, that I can get quite irritated when so much emphasis is put on uniform because I can't think of one business that I work in at the moment where people have to appear in a uniform. I'm the lady who wanted ties printed on T-shirts in the summer. (laughs) Um, But to me... The things that really matter about ability to get on with people, the ability to think conceptually, to understand the scope of what you're trying to do and to think, how do we best serve the people we're here to serve? It's fit for the future. It is that. That's that fit for the future. In the new world. Yeah. Well, I've got to say, <laughs> it's had my brain fizzing, Jill. <laughs> and it's one of those like fractals. You think you've got a bit of lock onto it and then it goes over there and you have to just like catch in the soap around the bath because oh well what if and what if and what if but that's exciting it is it's so exciting you know i've only been using it now since last november but i've experimented with it so much and i'm i'm just you know paddling in it at the moment or dipping my toe into it but the possibilities are endless you know i've helped students think about job opportunities i've helped someone who's really unhappy in the job that they're doing to think about other career opportunities I've designed a business plan. I've done so many different things with it. My goodness, you have really been immersing yourself in your stuff this time, Jill. So once again, thank you. And we wait to see what we give them next time. So what is it, Jill? Where are we headed next? I think you said we'd do Gen Z. So without further ado, I'll meet you again in the podcast studio to Gen Z. Thank you, Jill. Jill.